0: They really, really need to have it together in time for their first 10 games. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates on this podcasting network. This one's just for hockey, though. This is all we do here is hockey. And very soon we will have actual hockey in front of our eyes. January 3rd is the opening of the Penguins training camp, which will be at PPG Paints Arena, by the way, not in Cranberry. This makes me irrationally happy. Maybe I'll share that with you sometime. And then January 13th will be the Penguins season opener That'll be across the Commonwealth in Philadelphia. There will actually be two games out there. All this stuff's going to be, almost all of it, in two-game sets. January 13 and 15 at Flyers. Tough start, right? Not the at Philly part. That's not going to matter. There's nobody inside the building. It's going to be nothing like that. If anything, if you're Sidney Crosby and you're looking around at that place with all that empty orange and picturing all the people who have called your name in vain, and then (laughs) all the success that you've had there at their expense, I'm guessing you're kind of okay with the whole environment for the first game back. But these first 10 games, have you looked at this schedule? Have you looked at this? These first 10 games reminds me a lot of what I said back In the summertime, when I kept describing, probably to the annoyance of a lot of listeners and readers, Game 1 as being basically everything, that they absolutely had to win Game 1 against the Canadians, and they had to treat Game 1 as if it was Game 7. Not in the cliched sense, but because they had this short training camp, because it was an experience unlike anything any of them would ever have been through, going into an empty arena and playing an elimination playoff series after doing nothing for months. And sure enough, only one of those two teams came prepared. And it was the Bleu Blanc et Rouge. Definitely not the uh, Noir A. Eh? Oh my God, I took eight years of French and I can't remember how to do black and gold. <laughs> it wasn't those guys, regardless. If the Penguins aren't ready... For these 10 games, let me go through these. It's two against Philadelphia, two here in Pittsburgh against Washington, two against the Rangers, two in Boston, and then two in New York against the Rangers. Now, if you haven't been paying very close attention to hockey, you might think to yourself, well, four of the 10 are against the Rangers. That sounds good. It's not. It's not a lot of the reasons the penguins owned the rangers are no longer applicable chief among them that they just tormented henrik lundqvist you know henrik's going to end up in the hall of fame but it sure won't be the penguins that allowed him to get there they've got not one not two but three outstanding young goaltenders They've got Artemi Panarin, who got one of my top votes for the Hart Trophy last season. He was phenomenal for the Rangers. They've got the number two overall pick from last year, Capo Caco, and now, of course, the very highly heralded number one overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere, this past summer by winning the lottery. They are in some seriously good shape for a very long time. And I don't know that people even realize that the supporting cast has gotten so much stronger. Mika Zibanejad was, again, one of the better players in the league last year. So that's going to be a significant challenge having four games against those guys. You want to talk about the need to be younger, fresher, faster, and all the stuff the Penguins have talked about. That's a young team right off, pretty much right off the bat. You also add into that Washington, which is going to be a much older team. Uh, Boston, which is an older team that has some younger components, but the Bruins are physical. And maybe you can see where I'm heading here because I'm swinging everything back to those first two games. I really am. I, I think. I, I really feel like they need to beat the Flyers. Not once, but twice. I think they need to come out of that set of two games with at least three points. Otherwise, they might dig themselves a hole from which they can't escape. This will not be a regular, regular season. This is 56 games. If you blow it through 10 games, you've knocked off almost 20% of your schedule in what everybody, everybody fairly anticipates will be a furiously competitive division. You're not going to be able to mess around. You're not going to have time to just kind of, ah, we'll get there, you know, Well, we're working on it. Some things are starting to click for us. We've never been a team that starts well in XXX month. None of that's going to work. None of that's going to work. On top of that, on top of that, let's just say that the Penguins lose both games in Philadelphia. Again, I'm not being Nostradamus here. I'm saying if. If they were to lose both of those games. The last decent memory they will have had of anything will go back to what, like January? Because remember, like they only started to crawl out of a really bad losing streak or slump whenever the pandemic shut everything down in March. You know, they were really, really struggling. And then they had that one good game in Newark and they were in Columbus when everything shut down. So it'll have been a very long time since the Penguins will have done anything worth feeling good about. And to add a couple of losses to that, no, no. I don't know what Mike Sullivan and his new coaching staff, Todd Reardon and Mike Vellucci, can do in the span of, it's 10 days, but really it's only going to be nine practices, no exhibition games. I don't know what they can do to get this team into like a playoff elimination mindset in that setting. It's not going to be easy. Say what you want about what so many of these veterans on this team who are still here have accomplished over the years, but it's only human nature. You've just shown up for a training camp. You've always done things a certain way. You've always operated with a certain heartbeat in certain situations. Is there really a different gear that you can find if you're Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, whoever? Whoever. Maybe even some of the younger players. It sure didn't happen this past summer. I'm here to tell you that unequivocally. When the two best performers in that camp were in order Sam Lafferty and Evan Rodriguez something went wrong in your camp with all due respect to those two guys having played and performed as well as they did those were practices those were scrimmages everyone needed to be at that level when they weren't and then they showed up to play playoff games they found out that the other guys were can't happen again number one thing with a bullet. When we come back, Just One Question. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question, and always on this program that's brought to you by the good people Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, they want to hear from you if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. They're looking to help all of our neighbors who are in need. To find food near you, go to pittsburghfoodbank.org slash get help. I'm going to read that to you one more time, pittsburghfoodbank.org slash get help. They will be very happy to assist any way they can. Today's question comes from JT, who asks, do you think the Penguins' window is closed? If not, what do you see them needing for one last run with the big three? Usually point to the Bruins, JT, when this subject comes up. If you think about who they're core is and who their core has been for quite some time now, you're still talking about Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Zdeno Chara, and Tuukka Rask. Since then, they've grafted on—actually, well, I should mention David Krejci as well, so there's five of them—but since then, they've also grafted on David Pasternak— the young defenseman and Charlie McAvoy and Tory Krug, and it's become an overall really good group, but one that is nonetheless still built on those same five guys. And if you think of the run that Boston had in the most recent playoffs, who was their best forward? For the most part, it was Krejci, you know? Uh, we can talk about Chara being old and every once in a while get burned, but the fact of the matter is they don't get anywhere near as far as they did without Chara. What have they done? They've continued building around those guys. They've never given up on them. They've tried to make it so that those guys don't have to do the carrying of the load. I don't know that they've really succeeded in that regard, in the sense that Boston has made it really, really close to winning another cup with those guys, but hasn't quite gotten over the the edge with that. The Penguins have been competitive since the two most recent cups, but they haven't made it as far as Boston has, which tells you, I think, a lot about the fact that the Bruins— generally have held on to their draft picks and have grafted on prospects and have made sure that they still have young legs continuing the churn on the ice. The Penguins really haven't done that. However, however, and I don't want to get into a, a head-to-head comparison here between Pasternak and Jake Gensel, but the Penguins also had a player come, come along that they grafted on in Jake who ended up producing 40 goals and Brian Rust, who was on a 30-goal pace last year. And John Marino comes along and looks like he's going to be a number one defenseman in the NHL. And Tristan Jari comes along and looks like he might be an upgrade over Matt Murray. He's younger as well. So I look to Boston a lot when this discussion comes up. I don't think it's a matter of Window wide open. Window slammed shut. If you look at your situation and say to yourself, "All right, I've got Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin," leave. Let's hang out of this for the for this purpose. For this uh, for this specific purpose, I have Crosby and I have Malkin for the next whatever it is. Let's just say five years for the heck of it. Okay. I know I'm going to have them until they're 38. I can accept that maybe they won't perform at this level that I've had them at before, but they might be at this level, which would still be a spectacular thing for a hockey team to have, considering that they remain grossly underpriced. I mean, they are... They are still playing in Pittsburgh at a bargain rate that I'm not sure people here appreciate. Mitch Marner is making twice as much as Sidney Crosby is all you need to know. If these guys can produce at that level and you can build under them, so to speak, support them from the ground up, bring in younger players, keep trying younger players, use the younger players when you have them, give them a real chance. See what you can get out of them. Don't typecast them before they're even established. And yes, I'm talking about Sam Lafferty and the, the comment, well-intentioned as it was, that Mike Sullivan told me in Winnipeg last winter that you know he really sees him as, as being a guy who could become a really good role player in the league. Well, what if he's more? What if he's more? He just got here. Let's see what else he can do. This is what I'm talking about. Build from the ground up, but keep those guys in place. There are a lot of misperceptions among sports fans in general about what constitutes rebuilding or partial rebuilding or you know that everything has to be blown up whenever you go young. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can find ways to graft, there's that word again, young talent on. It's not easy. It's definitely a lot easier if you keep all your first-round picks, but that's easy for me to say now when a lot of what the Penguins gave up along the way helped them get those two most recent cups. Good question, JT. Thanks so much for that. Thanks to everybody for listening today.